0: It's Monday, November fourth. Welcome to Market Foolery. Chris Hill is off today. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Taylor Muckerman. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Hey, hey, Mark. What's up to you? Plenty to get to today, including earnings news from Berkshire Hathaway and Twitter prepping for its IPO. But the big story this morning has got to be BlackBerry. Shares of the company were down as much as 18% before the market opened on the news that A, Fairfax Financial would not, in fact, take the company private, and B, Thorsten Hines is stepping down as CEO. First and foremost, why Fairfax back away from this deal? <laughs> I think they probably
1: <laughs> recognize the fact that the headwinds uh, BlackBerry is facing are a little bit stronger than maybe they uh, even anticipated initially, but I don't know. What do you think, Taylor?
2: Sometimes if you're the only buyer, you might have some... Something on, on on the horizon here, but I think in their case they realize there's no other buyers for a reason, mm-hmm. a very distinct reason, and that's that BlackBerry has... Still struggling mightily. It's unfortunate.
1: <laughs> I wonder if they're market foolery <laughs> listeners. I mean, they probably heard us dogging on the company at some point. I mean, I, you know, I, like I was going through uh, BlackBerry's filings, and it's it's always interesting to look at these uh, press releases they put out with, with new relationships or new deals that they strike, uh, because they, they it's not like BlackBerry is completely obsolete. I mean, there are... Entities out there that use Blackberry's equipment, mm-hmm. um, but you know it sort of begs the question: Well, which ones? Right. I mean, we know they are are uh, used at least in part by uh, some of our, our government agencies and the security uh, concerns there. I and mean, they understand why they use Blackberry equipment. I mean, they they recently put out uh, an agreement that they struck with the Australian Transport Safety Bureau along with ooh. NCG. I know, ooh, wow. and and, and uh, wow. NCG Banco, uh-huh. uh, which is I believe a Spanish. Uh, banking entity, which, you know, I don't know that that's all that great of a
2: relationship. No, like, that, anyway. could, that, could, that could disappear in <laughs> but, a half I yeah.
1: mean, yeah, just like a quick search of these two companies. I mean, let's put this in context. I mean, it sounds nice that they've got these big companies, but I mean, how big are they really? Like, the Australian Transport Safety Bureau apparently has like 150 employees, and NCG Banco has about 6,000 or so. Oh. So, you know, when you look at maybe 6,000, uh, employees here that might be using your equipment. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, Apple sold, what, 33, 34 million iPhones last quarter. So mm-hmm. you can see that's that's obviously nothing. And, and I think that's the biggest concern here is that just uh, BlackBerry more or less uh, has missed the boat in the in the smartphone war here. And it's not really a matter of if as, as much as it's just a matter of when. And I, I really would be interested to see if down the road here we don't see uh, Fairfax figuring out a way to sort of pair this position
0: a little bit and get out. Right, Fairfax owns ten percent of BlackBerry right now, something like that. Are they just going to bail out of there any day now? After, I don't know if they do. Books? They better
2: do it uh, pretty stealthily because ten percent of that stock will, I mean, they'll be selling into their own right. downward price movement. So right. be a little tough for them to get out completely, especially now that they have some more convertible debt, uh, about two hundred fifty million out of that one billion that was just issued. So. Um, you know, if no one's buying the phone, why would anybody want to buy the company? And to have security uh, features as your only claim to fame right now, uh, I don't see that really lasting as far as mo- as a moat is concerned. I mean, maybe the six thousand people already have Blackberries and they just decided yeah. to stick with it. <laughs> well,
1: and I think it's also worth noting. I mean, BlackBerry—the the argument we hear a lot is that at some point there would be this either acquisition of the company as a whole or acquisition of parts of the company, uh, because they do have uh, some sort of patent portfolio in there that might be attractive for right. some entities. And I've seen uh, Qualcomm's name thrown around here a little bit. And Qualcomm is a, you know, a chip maker for these smartphones, the technology. Uh, they hold a lot of the patents out there. I think they're the big, essentially the biggest patent holder out there. Mm-hmm. And so you do have a team there with Qualcomm that is very capable of determining the value of such patents. Where We, we kick those patent ideas around. But, but you know we don't have any real expert knowledge on how to value those things Qualcomm actually would right. um, so i could see maybe uh this is something to uh, potentially stall for a little bit of time as maybe a Qualcomm looks at the, the potential that, that some of this uh, patent portfolio may hold. I, I imagine we'll see something like that come up at some point. But, but yeah, I, I think this is definitely an example of a company that is, is well worth more in pieces than as, as just the whole
0: company. Right. So, is there is that the only value for BlackBerry right now, just breaking it up and selling it off piecemeal? Uh, they did hit a 10-year low this morning. Uh, that sounds like a bargain. That's a good frankly. sign. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, that, that, that's, what, that's what I... I think. I mean, I think at some point you you see this this company, uh, you know, different entities go in there and just pick off pieces of it that they like. Right.
2: yeah, I mean, see, the new CEO, interim CEO, John Chen, said that there are a lot of assets there. He'll need some time to take a look at them all. But when it, when you have that CEO coming in saying there are a lot of assets here, maybe he's looking at some that are potential uh, sale items.
0: Toughest job in the world right now has got to be finding someone to fill the role of CEO over at BlackBerry. Yeah, are no kidding.
2: <laughs> I'll I keep imagine. the interim title yeah. and if I'm John Chen.
0: Right, de facto. Uh, all right, moving on. Also in the news this morning, Twitter has increased the price range of its IPO to between twenty-three and twenty-five dollars. They IPO on Thursday, cutting kind of in a little close here, gentlemen. Why the bump up?
1: Well, I think that's uh, something we all more or less expected going into this. Uh, a lot of times with IPOs, especially these uh, big tech stories, the the initial price uh, is adjusted, uh, you know, upward coming closer to the IPO they see more interest in it perhaps i mean that's you know the interest in an IPO like this that that's demand and demand typically pushes price up mm-hmm. and that could be what we're seeing i think that you you want to pay attention more to the the market cap implications of something like this as opposed to just the individual price because the price really is is all relative i mean it's meaningless unless you understand what it what it how it relates to the size of the company and so if you look at this you know at the top of this new range it would value Twitter at somewhere around fourteen billion dollars today Eesh. which I, I mean you look at something like that compared to Facebook, which is somewhere now one hundred twenty hundred and thirty mm-hmm. billion or something like that it's yeah. it's obviously Facebook is considerably larger however uh, it, twitter is is still uh, I think a considerably better mobile experience, and I think that's maybe what some of the enthusiasm is. I think there was an an amendment to the S1 there that that clarified Twitter gets about 70% of their sales now Mm -hmm. from mobile, which is very believable. I mean, I think, you know, this this new Tweet a Coffee thing, for example, we were kind of, you know, hashing this out a little bit before taping. That was just, I think, a very good example of, um, you know, how how well uh, Twitter works with that mobile experience. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm torn on this. I mean, I, I really, I'm a Twitter guy. I'm not a Facebook guy. I mean, I, I, I think that Twitter is uh, certainly more uh, enjoyable to use. It's more useful. Um, I think that 14 billion dollars isn't necessarily absurdly priced for this company. It'd be something like 23 times sales. Right. Uh, we were talking about that kind of metric with Facebook yeah. as well. Um, being that Twitter is much smaller, there could potentially be more room to grow. I don't know. What do you think, though.
2: I think you know Facebook being a 100 billion dollar company really had to earn it because yeah. I mean after they IPO'd that high they just plummeted immediately and the last year has really been a trying time for them they've they've gotten back to or slightly above I think where they had mm-hmm. IPO'd so they've mm-hmm. they battled back um, but then you see Twitter opening up with a higher price now m- most likely right after Facebook said that they could be losing a lot of their core market audience with the teens and they they dropped after market when Mark Zuckerberg said that so um, Twitter might have a little bit of a struggle, but they saw the Container Store and Potbelly kind of underpriced their shares and right. lo- left a lot of capital on the table. Right. Um, so maybe they're trying to avoid that type of a situation. And like you said, Jason, uh, that deal with Starbucks—I mean, that's—I think that's a big hit, a big home run for them right before this IPO because it just kind of shows more potential because it's really something that they haven't done before, mm-hmm. uh, at least that I'm aware of. So I think that that was a smart move on their part to to launch that a uh, couple weeks beforehand. Right.
1: Yeah, and I think that also, it, it pay attention to what the stock does the day of the IPO because uh, you know, I mean, if it prices at twenty three or twenty five dollars, I mean that's what it prices at. But the first day of trading, boy, you could see that thing uh, double from there potentially. Yeah. I mean, it, the enthusiasm is obviously uh, intense for this one, and it's a great environment for IPOs this year. So mm. uh, just because it's pricing at twenty three or twenty five doesn't mean that that's what it will. Uh, you know, close that on the first day of trading. I mean, it, that that stock could open, you know, for traders, right. for investors like us, at forty, forty-five dollars uh, a share, which would, which would be. Uh, then I, I wouldn't necessarily just be jumping in on that one. I think that investors ought to be very careful with this, and probably. Uh, Patience is is the is the virtue to have here. Yeah. Day one, you're not diving in. I don't think so, oh, but man. I will be watching very enthusiastically.
2: We'll be following it on Twitter. Yes, right. for sure. exactly, exactly. <laughs> a lot of fanboys. I'm predicting jumping into that stock on the first day. Right, I, right. That's I, right. I echo the statements that I think I like it a little bit better than Facebook. I think when you call people your friends <laughs> on Facebook, you kind of are a little bit more guarded. Whereas Twitter, you just follow people and allow mm. them to follow you. So I think you open yourself up to a much larger network. Uh, you see people with. Hundreds of thousands of followers, whereas on Facebook you rarely ever see anything close to that number. So, uh,
0: I, speak for yourself. Taylor. Oh, sorry,
2: Mark. I'm, I guess we're not friends on Facebook. I no, we are not. Data.
1: Nope. But <laughs> what is that? There's like, there, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a study out there that basically questions or puts a cap on the number of friends that any one individual, any one human being can manage in their lifetime. It's somewhere around 150 friends hmm. that you can actually reasonably manage in your life at any given time. Yeah. Anything above that, and it's just that they more or less, there is more or less no real meaning, or you can't really keep up with that. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, I think Taylor makes a great point there. Is Twitter? That's not what Twitter's about. It's not, it's not about maintaining relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, about, it's about following People or news that that interest you, and so you could follow, you know, a thousand people if you wanted, and that would be giving you a thousand different hits on things that interest you the most. So certainly a different animal than Facebook altogether. It'll be be interesting to see how they work together in this uh, mobile environment in the coming years. How many Twitter followers do you have, Jason? Uh, I actually could pull you up right now. Oh, I have technology. Wow, okay, Just have that quick. <laughs> One thousand nine hundred and ninety-two. Wow. That That's, is actually looking at the computer screen now.
0: So. That is a lot more than me. And right. I don't have that will, many friends, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, too. <laughs> Facebook or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we go, of course, we've got to talk earnings. Late Friday, Berkshire Hathaway reported a profit of five, just over $5 billion, up from just below $4 billion a year earlier. Those are some pretty nice numbers. Where is it all coming from?
2: Um, a lot of new businesses. Uh, Burlington Northern, I think, is a big portion of their business now, and I think it will be moving forward, especially when they partner that with uh, the oil sands venture that they that they bought into Suncor with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's going to really open that up because of their network that they have in the middle of the United States, all the way from the borders of Canada down to the border of Mexico, with a few lines running to the West Coast. Um, they just talked about coal really driving a lot of revenue growth this quarter. You've seen coal slowly start to chip back away at natural gas because natural gas prices are higher uh, than they were in 2020 when the coal market was just decimated Hmm. on the thermal side by natural gas. Uh, CSX even talked about it a little bit, but when you look at Burlington Northern's uh, infrastructure, it just set up perfectly for the coal market with the Illinois Basin and the Powder River Basin being the two cheapest to, to produce coal from, and they just are able to cater to that market perfectly. So, I think that that was a very wise investment, uh, and he continued to up that stake, and I believe it's now up to 100%, if I'm not mistaken. It seems
1: like the more things change, the more things stay the same. With right, yeah. <laughs> it's always, I mean, it's a very you know well-established, stayed business. I mean, you got to love... Uh, Buffett and Munger. I mean, those guys have moxie, man. It is that just they—they they just know what they're doing. And, and I mean, they wow. Berkshire had a cash balance of forty-two billion dollars mm-hmm. at the end of the third quarter. So you think about that, and that's basically tantamount to any one of us looking at our brokerage account and saying, "Well, I've got you know X amount of dollars that I want to go spend on stocks. This mm-hmm. is what I have in my cash balance that I want to go shopping with. Uh, you know, when when stocks represent a good deal and. Uh, the reason why that cash balance is building up, I mean, Buffett is, has noted time and again it seems like the stock market is pretty fairly valued at this point, so I think he's even recognizing that that uh, it's, it's been a, a good past uh, several months. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they put that cash to work. I think there are a couple of businesses out there that would certainly fit under that Berkshire umbrella. Mm-hmm. But well, that that remains to be seen. Always Which fun to speculate. Which yeah. ones are they? Well, well the say? one I the one I continue to believe is is just would really work well for them is McCormick Spice Spice Company. I mean, that's hmm. that's one that uh, is just it's just it just generates these repeat sales. They have such a tremendous competitive position just just in the brand name. I think. Spices are typically something that you know people go to the aisle and they just see what they know. They want to get something that they know they can depend on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also McCormick has very good relationships with restaurants, and they have a good generics division. Uh, just tremendous returns on equity, great business, and I think it would be something that would work very well with Berkshire Hathaway. But
2: don't they old obey? So I mean, they do. got that yeah. going yeah, on. Exactly, that's right. That's <laughs> similar. Yeah, and especially with with Warren Buffett and and Munger, I mean, they're not over-anxious investors. So you're not going to have to worry about them jumping to any like, oh my God, we have $42 billion in cash. Let's go out and buy something immediately. That's a great point. They could do it. They could hold on to that for as long as they want and be very comfortable with that.
0: Absolutely. right. All right. Kellogg's reported humdrum earnings today, but the big news was its announcement of Project K, a four-year restructuring program that will end up cutting 7% of the company's workforce. Is this what the company needs to get things going? Well, see, you say humdrum earnings.
1: I would have said ho-hum earnings. Uh, Maybe yeah. I'm just splitting hairs. Right, though. right. Yeah, I think that was that was sort of the, the takeaway, was that it was not really that uh, encouraging of a quarter. And then you see the... Project K as, as they've dubbed it, which is <laughs> top uh, secret. You know, their, yeah, their positive spin is we're we're becoming a more global business. In, in you know that that really is code for yeah, we're firing about two thousand people <laughs> yeah. because that's what it's going <laughs> so to boil down to, and that's a shame because uh, you know we we have not really uh, seen I think really the the corner turned yet as far as a healing economy and in the employment picture getting better, but. Uh, I think that Kellogg has some some headwinds they're facing, and you know I, I I look at this this cut in the recent this recent cut in the food statement program. I think is another issue that maybe it's easy to kind of dismiss. Uh, you know I was I was talking to uh, Tiffany Shu at the L.A. Times last week, who was writing an article about uh, Walmart and And sort of their perspective on this this cut in food stamps, Walmart brings in probably about eighteen percent of those food stamp dollars wow. on an annual basis, which translates into about fourteen billion dollars or so They have obviously a very big grocery segment there. But it was mm-hmm. interesting to see Walmart trying to spin this into saying, "Well, because they are more relevant as, as prices become more of a concern, it could be a boon to Walmart and." Mm-hmm. You know, our, our basic thought was well. The bottom line is, it's just fewer dollars that people are going to potentially be able to spend at Walmart. Right. Uh, the reason why this matters for Kellogg is that Kellogg gets about twenty percent of their sales from Walmart, hmm. which is uh, you know mostly U.S. sales, and and it. It certainly would be more material to Kellogg than Walmart just because of Walmart's scale, but uh, you know I mean, I like Kellogg because of what they do. I think it's a great brand. I think there's a lot of products that we all are very aware of mm-hmm. uh, but when you look at the stock today it 's around eighteen times full year estimates and it's not a small company yeah. uh, I think people have been chasing that three percent dividend yield and and so, my, my takeaway on, on the stock today was just that I, you know, I would not be a buyer today just based on valuation alone. But, but you know, it definitely a quality brand. And if you ever saw an opportunity on a sell-off, then it would it would be one worth looking at. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it's strange to see a company gearing towards growth by cutting 7% yeah. of its employees. Kind of scratch my head a little bit. But then you look at their margins have been deteriorating for the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. So, maybe they're trying to target that first. Um, I mean, food cost is their a huge thing for this company and yeah. and corn is probably one of their biggest food costs and uh, there 's a lot of unintended uses for corn that i d- that I think are unnecessary you know you look at uh, renewable energy as or ethanol and uh, feedstock for cattle it 's just very widespread these days, and to have that as uh, so much exposure to corn as they do, I think that that could be one of the reasons why the margins are are unlikely to rise uh, even with these employee cuts
0: right. Last but not least, certainly in the most important question of the day, favorite Pop-Tart flavor? Pop-Tarts. Right. The Kellogg food,
1: Yeah, right? there yeah. we go. See? So We're slow. trying to help
2: boost their business. I, yeah. don't have
1: any pop- I don't eat a lot of Pop-Tarts. I mean, I'm not saying I never eat them. You're missing yeah. out. <laughs> I <I'm> eat <missing laughs> some. <out. laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I don't know.
2: I used to. I haven't, I haven't touched a Pop-Tart in quite a while, but... Um, I, I, I grew up on the brown the brown sugar cinnamon nice. and uh, uh, whenever I wanted to treat myself, it was definitely the sprinkled blueberry. Ooh, yes, well, that's
1: I was yeah blueberry for sure. Blueberry with the frosting on top mm-hmm. for me.
2: Can't yeah, you got to have the frosting yeah, on the top. One of these is, unfrosted that's pop-tars. non-negotiable. <laughs> sugar
0: cinnamon, you don't need the frosting.
2: Uh, really? Delicious. I don't know. I don't, I I don't even know make know if them frosted it's, though. If, oh, if it's not do? frosted, yes. I don't even understand
1: how you call it a pop tart. just To me, that's <laughs> like exactly. just a some.
0: Or you got to have
2: some milk with it if it's not frosted because yeah. it dry your mouth out. What
0: about you? Oh, it's got to be brown sugar. Brown cinnamon. Cinnamon. Yeah. It's, just, it's the classic. Yeah, it is. And now is. that I know it's they good. have frosted versions of it. And it's
2: sugar, cinnamon, frosted. We need
0: to wrap this up. I need to go shopping <laughs> real quick. All right. Jason I don't think Moser. Whole
2: Foods carries uh, <laughs> Kellogg's Pop-Tarts, but uh, give it a shot.
0: We'll find out. All right. Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. Thank more. you. As always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks. Based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the incredibly awesome Ann Henry. I'm Mark Harith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.